Nixon visiting the Mountain Lion Podcast Studio via telephone from the University of Minnesota in Minneapolis, Minnesota. This podcast is part of a series of interviews which I'm conducting on bedside presentations and rounding. James, would you mind introducing yourself to our podcast audience and telling us where you grew up, went to college, medical school, and residency, and what your current institution is and role is at that institution? Sure, sure, Paul. Um, yeah, so I'm James Nixon, as you said, and I'm, uh, I grew up actually in Arkansas and Oklahoma. Uh, we moved to Oklahoma, actually, when I was in high school, and then I stayed uh, there for uh, college at the University of Oklahoma, and then also for medical school at the University of Oklahoma. I did uh, then a MedPeds uh, residency at the University of Minnesota, and uh, then stayed on as a chief resident, and then have just been here ever since then. Uh, actually, um, I'd kind of always thought I'd either go to medical school or be a teacher, and so I felt pretty lucky when shortly after uh, starting my job, uh, my uh, the department chair for Pete's came up and was walking by, and uh, he said, I said, hey, you know, I, I really love uh, teaching. If any opportunities ever come up, I'd, I'd love to have one. And uh, he said, well, you know, the clerkship director just quit. How would you like to do that? And so, uh, <laughs> so I've... <laughs> been uh, involved in teaching ever since then. Uh, currently, I'm the vice chair for education for the Department of Medicine, where I work with our fellowship and residency programs and the clerkship. And, uh, and then I'm also uh, direct our Introduction to Clinical Medicine course, will co-direct the Introduction to Clinical Medicine course for the University of Minnesota Medical School, and, uh, and then also teach our Mastering Clinical Information course. Well, it sounds like they keep you busy there. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm happily busy. I, uh, I enjoy doing a variety of different things, and this certainly gives me the opportunity to do that. And I think nationally you're currently chair of the board of the Alliance for Academic Internal Medicine. Is that correct? Uh, that, that is correct, yeah. So I've been chair of the board for the Alliance for the last uh, six months now. And I, that also keeps me busy. I enjoy doing that a lot. Yeah, I'll bet. Um, well, let's dive into some questions I have for you about uh, bedside rounding and presentations. James, could you give us sort of a brief synopsis of how you conduct your attending rounds on your average rounding day with sort of your average census of patients? Yeah, so we do um, we, we do our attending blocks in, in one week, one week sessions. So when we do it, it's about a week typically. Uh, we used to, interestingly, we used to do four weeks, and then it went to three weeks, and then it went to two weeks, and now we're down to one week. I think that attests to just how the hospital environment keeps getting busier and busier. But um, yeah, so for an average week, when I'm on one of the teaching services, that's where we would work with, uh, we'd have a senior resident on our team, an intern, and then two students. So that's how our typical teams are structured. What I'll usually do is start my day around oh, 7 or 7.30, and what I'll typically do is look through uh, all the patients on our list, because typically we'll have some new patients that pop up who were admitted the night before. I'll read through their charts. I'll update myself on labs that came back and uh, any imaging or other tests that come back. And, uh, and what I'm doing there is in addition to just knowing what's going on with the patient, so I can easily, more easily follow the presentations on round. I'm also looking through to kind of think about what might be a few teaching points that I might want to bring up on rounds and refresh myself on anything that I'm not 
sure about or can't remember exactly. And I'll also think about what might be some patients where there might be some physical exam thing that would be good to point out. And so I'll kind of build that into to my planning for rounds. Um, we usually then start our rounds at 8.30, and that's with uh, care team rounds. And so that's going to be the care coordinator, the social worker, uh, PT and OT. And what we usually do with that is we're just sitting in the room. We quickly run through the list, and it's mostly around discharge planning. Uh, but in addition to making plans for discharge, this also gives a chance to kind of run through the list and kind of get us on the same page in addition to getting all the other members of the care team on the same page. And this usually takes like 10 minutes um, or so. And then I'll ask the senior resident um, how, how he or she would like to start rounds. Um, so this is kind of what order we want to go through as far as seeing the patients. And so, so for instance, we'll often see any patients that are going to be discharging early uh, to make sure we get to them before they need to leave. Um, anybody who's uh, high acuity um, or has some uh, area of concern that the resident's not sure about, uh, then we would see that patient and then kind of work our way down to the lowest acuity patients. Um, you know, if, if rounds are running longer than we'd anticipated, uh, those lowest acuity patients, it might just be something where at the very end of rounds myself and the senior would just quickly go through them so that um, we can make sure that uh, things occur in a timely manner for the whole team. So then they can start ordering consults and get a morning report. Morning report at our institution occurs at 11:15. Uh, so we usually have about two hours, two and a half to get through all of our patients. So, you know, then once we've established the order, uh, which we're going to go through, you can see also then, then a lot of the patients who are going to be taking more time are more likely to be at the beginning of rounds which also allows for better pacing, I think. Um, but then we'll go through and see our patients. Uh, we'll, uh, as we approach the room, uh, it's usually one of the students' job to call the nurse to make sure that the nurse can meet us in the room. Um, then as we walk into the room with the nurse, hopefully, uh, it's a student or intern's job who's primarily taking care of that patient to introduce everybody on the team to the patient. and. Um, and make sure that they're introducing the nurse as part of our care team as well. And then explain that we're going to be going through uh, what's been going on with the patient, make sure that the patient knows that this presentation is for them, and uh, make sure that the patient feels comfortable stopping us if we say something that doesn't make sense or they don't understand a word we're using, or if they, you know, something that we're saying is incorrect and they want to correct us as far as like the history or something. Um, then the, whoever's presenting would then present in mostly a SOAP format. Um, I tell them that they don't, do not need to present every single detail. The goal is to present just the most important things. And, um, and that the primary purpose of rounds, in addition to making sure that the nurse and the patient know what's going on, is to come up with a plan for the day. So it's really more of a management rounds often. Um, and again, the, the patient should very much feel like they're the focus of the presentation. Um, and so that's, that's kind of basically how we structure our rounds. Um, and, you know, this does include some prep with whoever's, you know, with the interns and students to make sure that they know that they need to be using language that the patient understands, that they need to frequently stop and check for understanding 
to make sure that the patient feels comfortable, or if there's family in the room as well, make sure that they feel comfortable asking about anything that doesn't make sense. And what would you say, James, is the average daily census you guys have on your teams? We usually have 12 um, patients on the teaching team. Um, and that's pretty much always going to be 12 because anytime a patient leaves, somebody else is going to come in to, to fill that gap. So most every day is going to be right about 12 patients. Um, depending on how busy, the sense, how, how busy we are, uh, it's possible I might have you know, one or two or three additional patients that are faculty-only patients. Um, generally, for the teaching service, we try to not have that happen, but it, it does happen, you know, particularly now, like during influenza season, that we might end up having a couple of our own patients as well. Uh, and so what percent of your total attending rounds time would you estimate is actually spent at the patient bedside? Probably, probably 90%. Um, Occasionally, uh, for a very complex patient who's a new patient, um, if the resident requests, we might present that in the back room prior to going to see the patient. I, I, I discourage that. I'm not a huge fan of that. But uh, if, if the resident has particular concerns, we might talk about, like I said, a really complex patient. Or if there's a significant psychosocial issue, we might talk about that um, uh, over the table prior to going to the bedside. Um, but otherwise, I'd say usually about ninety percent of the time is presented. Ninety percent of the time is presented at the bedside. Um, one of the things I, I emphasize with the team is that you know I really believe in the idea of shared decision making. You know the idea that there shouldn't be any decision about me without me, and uh, and so I think the best way to ensure that that's occurring is if if we're talking about everything at the bedside and not having these a lot of these backroom discussions. And what would you estimate overall for your general medicine services um, at University of Minnesota for a percent of time spent at the bedside, say for all your um, teams? Yeah, it, you know, it's pro I'm probably in the minority. Uh, it's probably almost the exact opposite for a lot of our attendings, um, with a lot of the time being spent talking at the, over the table and then maybe going around and seeing um, a few select patients afterwards. And in your experience, because this does seem to be a common theme, you know, where there's like a, a few um, people, depending on the institution we're talking about, that spend a lot of their time at the bedside and then, you know, you know, the inverse being true for the majority of the attendings at a given institution. What, what are the obstacles to more faculty doing bedside presentations? Yeah, I think it's, Probably mostly, um, you know, a combination of learner discomfort with it and uh, just how busy we all are. I, I think those are probably the, the two biggest barriers to bedside rounding. You know, students feel like, you know, I, I often get the sense that students feel like they need to show me that they can present every single detail. And what I'm telling them when they're presenting at the bedside is that they need to leave out the irrelevant things and just focus on what's most important. And, and this is harder. And I think they, they worry that they're going to look bad in front of the patient in some way. And I think the same thing's true for interns. I think residents, they, they worry most about time and efficiency and making sure that they can get all their work done. I mean, they're, they're incredibly busy. And so I think 
learners, both students and residents, do put up, put up some barriers to it, you know, for, for, for different reasons. Attendings, I think, then perceive these discomfort on the part of learners related to the time, efficiency, and concerns about looking bad in front of the patient. Um, attendings often haven't had a lot of role modeling around presenting at the bedside. It might not have seen good examples of it occurring. And so they don't really, um, you know, maybe have a, a mental model for how they would conduct good uh, bedside rounds. And so I think often they end up just taking the path of least resistance and rounding over the table. Um, nurses, I think, really appreciate it. I don't think that they're a barrier. Patients seem to really like it. I don't think that they're a barrier. Um, but, but I think those are probably the biggest obstacles, if you were to ask me. So my understanding of the literature in this area is that of, of all the team members, residents tend to like bedside presentations and rounding the least. Um, and assuming you agree with this from what you've seen and experienced, how does one overcome this really important obstacle to bedside presentations and rounding? Yeah, no, no I certainly agree that the, the residents are probably the most important obstacle. Um, uh, you know, I, I think that, you know, when, I think what residents have in their head when they're resistant to bedside rounds is they have this idea of, and, and probably because they've seen it a lot, where they, somebody goes through all, you know, every single patient's presented over the table, and then they go see everybody afterwards, and, and that's incredibly inefficient. And so if that's what they're thinking of when they're thinking about bedside roundings, I mean, then, then they're right, it is going to take a lot longer. Um, what I usually do is at the, the beginning of uh, a rotation, I'll have a conversation with the resident that, um, you know, I like to do bedside rounds. I, I tell them why, that, you know, I think that it's important that patients and nurses are involved and know what's going on and are part of the decision making because they both bring important information that we need to know. And then, you know, they're a big part of our plan being implemented. And so, you know, I, I preface it with that. And then I say that, um, you know, why don't you work with me and why don't we try this a couple of days? And uh, I make a deal that if after a couple of days they really don't like it, that, that we can, I'll accept their input and we'll think about a better way to do rounds. But if, um, if they're okay with it, then we'll continue. And every time once we've done it a couple of days, they, they see that it's just as efficient. They see the benefits of having the nurses and the patients on the same page with us as to what's going on. And uh, they see that they're getting fewer calls throughout the day. And, uh, and, and I think ultimately they also see that it's actually kind of nice to spend time with our patients. You know, to me there's nothing sadder than a bunch of doctors sitting in a, a sterile room typing away at a keyboard all day. And this is a way to spend a little more time with presumably the reason we're all here, which is the patients. And you mentioned that um, you think uh, patients uh, tend to like it, which is also my understanding in the literature that something like you know roughly eighty five percent enjoy uh, bedside presentations. But of that smaller percent, the maybe ten or fifteen percent that don't, why do you think that is for patients? Yes. Um, you know, I think if you're presenting over the patient, or if you're just talking about the patient in their room. I could see that as really off-putting. So I think part of it might be stylistic. 
if what they've experienced is something where it wasn't a presentation that was clearly tailored to them or was using words where they didn't know what was going on or was just confusing to them, that could certainly be off-putting. And so I think well-structured uh, bedside presentations are going to be tailored to the patient's level, and there will be frequent checking of understanding, also making it clear that this is there for them, not for anyone else. I think there are some patients, though, that um, where bedside rounds may not work quite as well, where there's, like I mentioned before, where there's a significant psychosocial issue. Um, and in those instances, uh, it, we sometimes will do the majority of the presentation over a table and then come and present specific information at the bedside. I, I don't like doing that when, we, when there's a better option, but sometimes that is, I think, necessary. Um, but otherwise, I, I haven't had tons of patients. I haven't had actually I can't think of the last patient that I've had that's um, said that they didn't appreciate it. And, and actually, um, generally, they specifically go out of their way to say how much they appreciate it because they do notice that we're then spending more time with them in the room. And patients' families, likewise, are, are very much appreciative and and often will uh, make you know we'll ask us as we're finishing rounding, hey, what time are you guys going to be around tomorrow? I want to make sure I'm here. Um, and if they're not able to make it, we'll often have the, the patient, you know, call them on the speakerphone. So it's the vast majority of patients that, that I think with, when rounds are conducted well, that very much appreciate it. And um, speaking of patients and their families, I think a lot of faculty and even senior residents worry about patient and family interruptions happening during the presentations themselves. In reality, do you think this is much of a problem? No, I don't think so. You know, I have lots of patients who, once they see what we're doing, um, you know, will, um, you know, try to really make sure, like I said, that their patient, that their families will be able to be there for rounds. Um, the families, I think, really actually help us a ton because the patients are getting so much information and uh, often have trouble you know, remembering everything that we talked about. And I'll often see lots of the family there taking notes and writing things down. Um, I'll often see them, uh, you know, they've taken notes prior to meeting with us and will remind the patient of things that they had wanted to ask us. And so I think, to me, it's they're really um, uh, make things go much smoother and end up with later, fewer, fewer interruptions later in the day because really everything is accomplished during that one visit during the day. Um, I don't find that they also are interrupting us a lot. I find more that they're listening very attentively um, or very respectful of our time and make a point to mostly be listening, but occasionally, like I said, bring up a question that the patient had wanted to ask, but maybe they forgot, or to clarify something or to say, you know, Dad, do you know, do you understand what's going on? Are you sure? Do you have any other questions? And um, I, I, I don't find that it slows it down. I find more, once again, that it just decreases interruptions later in the day. Hmm. Um, so I know it's hard to generalize about this because it's probably always different for each patient, but since you know part of your role as, as an attending okay. is to be teaching, um, where in the context of these bedside presentations is your teaching best placed? Um, well, as I mentioned before, um, often I'll have thought through 
is I look at the patient list first thing in the morning where it might be some things that, that are potentially teaching points, and I'll have that list in my head as we're going around and seeing people. Um, most of the times I actually don't get to all of the things that I had in my head as things I might want to teach about because, you know, the day just gets away from us a little bit. Um, but when I'm incorporating teaching into the bedside rounds, um, I really try hard to wait until the student or resident is completely done with their presentation to bringing up any of the teaching points. I try not to interrupt, particularly try not to interrupt students because I don't want to disrupt their flow. I want to give them the chance to look their best and uh, present their best face to the patient. Um, it's also sometimes um, a teaching point I was going to make, you know, the student will bring it up at the very end and actually then I don't even need to make that point and it's better than because the student's doing it. Um, if it's a physical exam thing I'm trying to teach, um, I might bring it up while the student's demonstrating the physical exam. Sometimes the students hadn't gone through the physical exam prior to the bedside, so we're doing it at the bedside. And um, I'll typically listen and go through the exam at the same time as the student. And if I see something the student doesn't comment on, I'll, I'll talk about it right then. Most other things, though, I'll, I'll wait until the very end uh, to bring up the teaching points. Like I said, mainly to not disrupt the flow of the uh, uh, presentation. And it seems like when you, when faculty do interrupt the presentation, or a resident for that matter, it, it does tend to slow things down um, a fair amount, it, you know, if they get derailed from where they were going with their presentation. Yeah, de definitely I've found that to be the case. Um, if a patient asks a question and the student can't answer it, I'll, I'll answer it at that point, but I generally try not to, to interrupt, like you said. And how do you handle issues that might potentially embarrass the presenter? Because it seems like some of the anxiety about doing these bedside presentations by both the residents, the interns, and the students, you know, has to do with fear of going out onto that so-called thin ice and being embarrassed either by the patient, the attending, or a family member for that matter. So, so let's say, you know, you notice a physical finding while you're standing there at the bedside that makes the diagnosis a slam dunk, but it's been missed by the resident and the student. How do you handle that? <laughs> um, that's a great question. You know, I, so I have the benefit of having some gray hair and having done this for a long time. And so um, if, I, if I see, so like a physical exam thing that I see, I have the benefit of being able to say, I can't tell you how many times I've missed this. <laughs> and the reason I don't miss it anymore is because of all the times that I missed it before and, uh, and someone pointed it out to me. And so, um, you know, I can kind of ease, ease the pain a little bit by saying something like that. And so I find that that usually helps a lot. The other thing I really do try to do from, from day one on the team is, is make rounds as non-threatening as possible. You know, I generally try to ask questions that I'm, you know, 90% sure that uh, the person I'm asking is going to get right, and then I'll just expand beyond that question with my whatever teaching point I'm going to make. Um, if, if they don't get the question right, um, I'm not going to leave it hanging there a long time, and I'll make a joke, you know, saying something like, you know, I, I think I was asking you to read my mind, you know, I, here, let me just explain what I was talking about. So I, I really try really hard to... Um, not and it ever make the learner feel like they're looking bad in front of the patient because that's really distressing to them. 
So it sounds, um, it sounds like yeah, you're, you're constantly tapping into uh, coming from a place of humility and self-deprecation in terms of not making them look bad. Yeah, definitely. You know, um, you know, back to the physical exam thing. You know, I, I'll I'll bring up I'll say something. You know, because the learner is I'm sorry the the patient is also there as well, and so you know I just want them to feel good as well that they don't have a learner that doesn't know what's going on. And so, you know, I'll say something like, you know, this is why we're a team. You know, six minds are better than one. You know, each of us has contributed something that the other may not have noticed, but all together, you know, we're going to be more likely to find every single thing that matters, think of every single thing that's important. And, uh, and that's why we're a team. And that's why we introduced ourselves as a team at the beginning as well. The nurse, similarly, is often going to be bringing things to the table that help us provide better care. Um, I'll also routinely point out when I do something wrong. I, I have this bad habit of asking leading questions, and I, whatever I try to do, I can't. I just seem to do it, and uh, I always notice it as soon as I say it. And so, what I'll typically do is say, "So, you know, I'll turn to the student because they'll they'll notice it. I'll say, so what did I just do wrong there?'" And they'll say, "Well, you asked a leading question.'" I go, "Yes, I sure did. <laughs> Thanks for noticing. You know, and." Um, you know, I'm also really fond of saying, you know, when 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 I'm adding a teaching point is, thank you so much for not mentioning, you know, or noticing this, because I was starting to think there was no reason for me to be here at all. So thank you. <laughs> mm. So so those are kind of the little tricks that I use to kind of, you know, show that I'm definitely not infallible. That um, it's we're a team. We're all working together. You know, you may notice something this time that I don't notice. I may notice something next time that you don't notice. Uh, and we're all there to learn from each other, and we're all fallible. So, James, you mentioned a number of things earlier on about, you know, why there tends to be less bedside presentations and teaching than, say, there were, I don't know, 40, 50, 60 years ago, including uh, faculty just not having role models in this area. But given these these issues, resistance from students, residents, um, and in some cases even faculty, is there a way to reverse this trend to get faculty and learners back to the patient bedside, or is it sort of a hopeless cause in which we are just aging dinosaurs tenaciously clinging <laughs> to the ways and days of Sir William Osler? Yeah, I hope we're not dinosaurs. Um, that means we're going to be extinct at some point. Um, <laughs> Well, I, you know, I, 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 I think it's changeable. I mean, I'm optimistic. Um, I mean, I, you know, how, how, how many times over the last, I don't know, 50 years has there been an article in JAMA or New England Journal that said, you know, bedside rounds are dead, but we still cling on, right? Um, you know, Pete's has made some headway in this. Um, they've made some real strides, I think, in getting more bedside rounding to occur. And I think the argument that they made that you know, a lot of attendings and residents bought into was that it was important to round at the bedside because you know the patient, the family really is an integral part of the care for that child, and so so I think that's an example of where there has been some headway made. Um, you know, what would it take for that to happen in medicine? I think similarly, it's going to take program directors and clerkship directors and hospital administrators to buy into that this is a valuable way to improve communication, 
to uh, decrease errors because the nurses and the patients are involved when the decision is being made and will notice if some order comes in that's different than what was talked about on rounds, um, where you know patient satisfaction improves because they know more what's going on, um, or you know there's some other improved outcome or you know related to education or, or whatever. I think that you know it's on us to continue to do studies that look at this and try to prove to the powers that be that this is a valuable use of everyone's time and then also continue to get the word out that this is something that, you know, when it's done right, when it's done well, doesn't take more time and actually probably improves teaching and, and gives you a chance as a teacher to see the students and residents interact with the patients and, you know, role model good interactions and, and correct you know, gently when you see something that isn't exactly like maybe you'd like it to be, or just talk about an alternative way to do things. So I don't think it's, I don't think it's hopeless. I don't think it's dead. Um, I, I think it, with continued efforts, hopefully uh, we'll get more people excited about it and, and see it occur more. So I think you've, in a way, listed a number of these things as we've been going along in this conversation. But if you were to list, like, say, your top two, three, I don't know, four things that you love about rounding at the bedside in the manner that you've described here, what would those be? Um, well, you know, probably first and foremost is it reminds us what it's all about, which is the patient. It keeps the patient at the center of the conversations. Um, it reminds us that the patient has a family, that they're real people, that they have a life outside of their hospital bed, and uh, doesn't let us make decisions outside of that important context of that human. Um, it gives me a chance to uh, spend more time with the patient, which I enjoy personally, and it gives us the whole team an opportunity to spend more time with the patient. I think it results in better care because um, I can't tell you how many times we've been presenting something at the bedside and the patient corrected us on something that was a, a misunderstanding that had just been carried through in the medical record because of the copy forward issue or somebody just wrote something down wrong. Um, so I think it results in better care and uh, makes it more likely that the patient will understand why we're making a specific recommendation for a therapy. And there are recommendations. It's up to the patient to decide what they want to do. I mean, we can't just tell them what to do. I mean, they need to understand why they're doing, what, why we want them to do a particular thing. Uh, and then I really just, personally, I, I really enjoy the physical exam. It's hard to teach the physical exam over a table. And so I, I love the chance to talk about a murmur or look at a rash and talk about it, or talk about why there's no such thing as bilateral lower extremity cellulitis. Um, you know, so there's just a whole host of opportunities once you're at the bedside with the patient to uh, to do that as well. So I think those would be my top reasons for why I enjoy bedside rounding. Excellent. Um, any last thoughts for us uh, or our podcast audience about bedside presentations, rounding, or anything else for that matter? Um, I think, you know, the, the number one thing would be, you know, what I just was talking about was that I, I think we make better decisions when we make them with the patient rather than for the patient. Um, 
these are real people, and the way to get that in learners' minds is to spend time with those real people. It's way more fun than typing on a keyboard, uh, looking at a computer screen, and our patients are way more important than a bunch of words on a computer screen. So it sounds like uh, along those lines, just from what you're describing about the satisfaction you get out of rounding at the bedside, that perhaps there may even be some uh, hidden wellness, um, you know, uh, I don't know, some benefit to this in terms of physician wellness and enjoyment of the profession. Would you agree with that? I, I certainly would, Paul. I mean, I think, you know, um, I don't think anybody who took the MCAT, did so with the idea that they would be sitting in a room typing on a keyboard 90% of their time. And, uh, you know, having meaning in what you do is one of the things that's really protective against burnout. And I think there's no better way to reinforce that meaning than to uh, see the satisfaction of a patient understanding what you're talking about uh, or to have a patient get better that you spent a lot of time at their bedside. and part of the reason they got better was because of the time you spent with them. Um, James, I want to thank you for joining us today. I really, really enjoyed talking with you about this topic, and um, I will look forward to talking to you about it some more in the future. Well, thank you, Paul, for this opportunity. I've really enjoyed it. All right. I will, I will see you soon, James. Thanks. Take care. Okay, bye-bye.